0: Rainer Maria Rilke, an Austrian who wrote in German and French, dying in 1926 at age 51, is an immortal of world poetry. His accomplishment in poetry is so glorious and vast, with masterworks like the Dueno Elegies and Sonnets to Orpheus, that a Rilke enthusiast might never turn to his prose. If you do, you encounter the notebooks of Malta Lartz Briga, one of the definitive modern novels, and letters to a young poet, perhaps the greatest advice for writers ever written it's entirely possible to overlook another Rilke prose work, The Young Workman's Letter. This is a short story written in the form of a young worker's letter to a famous poet. Once Rilke gets going, the frame tale is beside the point, and we are reading philosophical prose poetry written at white heat about the relationship between sexuality and the spirit in the context of a forbidding Christianity. Composed in February 1922, During the orgy of inspiration when Rilke wrote Sonnets to Orpheus and finished the Dueno elegies, the Young Workman's Letter should be read and published alongside those immortal poems and not in the prose miscellanea where it tends to appear. The Young Workman's Letter by Rainer Maria Rilke, translated by G. Craig Houston. Some poems of yours were read at a meeting of ours last Thursday, Mr. V. I can't forget it. I can think of no better way than to put down for you what is in my mind— As well as I can. The day after the reading of the poems, I happened by chance to attend a Christian gathering, and perhaps that was really what put the match to the fire, causing such commotion and urgency that I write to you with all the energy and powers that I possess. It is a tremendous act of violence to begin anything. I am not able to begin. I simply skip what should be the beginning. Nothing is so powerful as silence. It would never have been broken if we had not, each of us, been born into the midst of talk. Mr. V, I am not going to speak about the evening when we heard your poetry. I'm going to speak of the other evening. I'm compelled to say, who, yes, I cannot express it any other way at present. Who, then, is this Christ, who interferes in everything, who knew nothing about us, nothing of our work, nothing of our needs, nothing of our joy, As we do it, suffer it, and experience it. And who yet, as it seems, constantly demands that he shall have first place in our lives? Or has that just been put into his mouth? What does he want of us? He wants to help us, they say. Yes, but he behaves in a strangely helpless fashion when near us. His conditions were so entirely different. Or do the conditions not really matter, supposing he came into my room here, or into the factory there? Would everything at once be different, right? Would the heart in me beat high and, so to say, continue on a different level, always going out to him? My feeling tells me he cannot come, that it has no sense. Our world is not only outwardly different, it offers him no access. He would not appear through a ready-made coat. It is not true. He would not show. It was no accident that he went about in a robe without seam. And it is my belief the core of light in him that made him shine so strongly day and night, has long since been dissolved and differently dispersed. But if he was so great, this is, to my thinking, the least that we could demand of him, that in some way he should have been absorbed without residue, entirely without residue, leaving no trace. I cannot conceive that the cross should remain, which was, after all, only a crossroads, It certainly should not be stamped on us on all occasions like a brand mark. For is the situation not this? He intended simply to provide the loftier tree on which we could ripen better. He on the cross is this new tree in God, and we were to be warm, happy fruit at the top of it. We should not always talk of what was formerly, but the afterwards should have begun. This tree, it seems to me, should have become so one with us, or we with it, and by it, that we should not need to occupy ourselves continually with it, but simply and quietly with God, for his aim was to lift us up and into God more purely. When I say God, that is a great conviction in me, not something learnt. It seems to me the whole creation speaks this word without reflection though often out of a deep thoughtfulness. If this Christ has helped us to say it more fully, more effectually, with a clearer voice, so much the better. But now at last, leave him out of the question. Do not always force us back into the labor and sorrow that it cost him to redeem us, as you put it. Let us at last enter into this state of redemption. Otherwise, the situation of the Old Testament is certainly better. It is full of pointers towards God, wherever you open it. And when one is heavy, one falls right into the middle of God there. And once I tried to read the Koran. I did not get far, but I understood this much. It too is a mighty pointer. And God stands as the end toward which it points in his eternal rising, in an east without end. Christ surely wanted the same thing, to point. But the people here have been like dogs that do not understand the pointing finger and think they are meant to snap at the hand instead of setting out from the place of the crossroads where this sign was high and lifted up into the night of this sacrifice, instead of proceeding onwards from this place of the cross, Christianity has settled down there and claims that it is living there in Christ, although there was no room in him, not even for his mother, nor for Mary Magdalene, as there never is room in anyone who points the way, who is a gesture and not a dwelling place. And so they do not dwell in Christ, these stubborn of heart, who continually bring him back again and live from the setting up of a cross, which stands crooked or completely blown down? They have on their conscience this concourse and standing about on the overcrowded place. It is their fault that the journey does not begin to follow the direction of the arms of the cross. They have made a métier out of Christian living, a bourgeois occupation, sur place, a pool which is alternately emptied and filled." Everything that they do of themselves in harmony with their insuppressible nature in so far as they are still alive, is a contradiction of this strange situation, and so they muddy their own waters and have to renew them constantly in their zeal. they do not hesitate to make this life, which should be an object of desire and trust for us, bad and worthless and so they hand over the earth more and more to those who are ready to gain at least temporary and quickly won profit from it vain and suspect, as it is, and no good for anything better. This increasing exploitation of life, is it not a result of the century-old denial of the worth of this world? What folly to direct our thoughts to a beyond, when we are surrounded here by tasks and expectations and future prospects. What deceit to misappropriate pictures of present delight in order to sell them behind our backs to heaven. Ha! Huh. The impoverished earth ought long ago to have called in all these loans which have been drawn on its happiness so that the hereafter might be adorned with them. Does death really become less opaque because these lighting devices have been dragged into place behind it? And since a vacuum cannot persist, will not all that has been taken away from earth be replaced by sham? Is this the reason why the cities are so full of ugly artificial light and noise? Because true radiance and song have been delivered over to a Jerusalem to be inhabited later? Christ may have been right to speak ill of earthly things in an age full of stale and denuded gods, although it is an insult to God, cannot think otherwise, not to see in what is granted and permitted to us here Something completely capable of making us happy, to the very limit of our senses, if only we use it with precision. The right thing, the right use, is the thing. To take a good hold of this life, with warm affection and wonder, as our sole possession in the meantime, this is also, to use a homely expression, God's great direction for use. This It was, which St. Francis of Assisi thought to write down in his song to the sun, which was more glorious to him as he lay dying than was the cross, which only stood there to point into the sun. But what is called the church had grown in the meantime to such a confusion of voices that the song of the dying man drowned on all sides was heard only by a few simple monks and infinitely confirmed by the landscape of his lovely valley. How often must such attempts have been made to bring about a reconciliation between that Christian renunciation and the obvious friendliness and cheerfulness of the earth? But in other ways also, within the church, even in its very crown, earthly life achieved its own fullness and its inherent luxuriance. Why does the church not boast that it was sufficiently vigorous not to collapse under the living weight of certain popes, whose throne was encumbered with bastard offspring, courtesans, and the assassins' victims? Was there not in them more Christianity than in the fleshless restorers of the Gospels? That is to say, living, irrepressible, transforming Christianity. I mean, we do not know what will come of the great teachings. We must only allow them to stream forth and follow their course, and not be alarmed when they suddenly pour into the disrupted parts of life, rolling through indiscernible beds underground. I worked in Marseille once for some months. It was an important time to me. I owe a lot to it. Chance brought me into contact with a young painter who remained my friend till his death. He had lung trouble and had just come back from Tunis. We were a lot together, and because the end of my contract coincided with his return to Paris, we were able to arrange to spend a few days in Avignon. I've never forgotten them partly because of the town itself, its buildings, and its surroundings, but also because my friend, in those days of uninterrupted and somehow more intimate intercourse, told me many things, particularly about his inner life, with that eloquence which it seems is peculiar to such sufferers at certain times. Everything he said had a strangely prophetic force. Through all that he poured out, often in almost breathless talks, One saw, so to say, the bottom, the stones on the bottom. I mean by that something more than merely what is in us, nature herself, her oldest and hardest core, with which we come in contact at so many places and upon which we are probably dependent at moments of greatest urgency, its falling gradient determining our inclination Furthermore, he had an unexpected and happy love affair. His heart was in an unusually exalted state for days together, and so, by contrast, the playing fountain of his life shot up to a considerable height. To view a remarkable town and a more than pleasing landscape in the company of one in such a state is a rare privilege. And so, when I look back to those tender and at the same time passionate days of spring seemed to me to be the only holidays that I have ever known in all my life. The time was so ridiculously short. For anyone else, it would only have sufficed for a few impressions. To me, unaccustomed as I am to having holidays, it seemed long. Indeed, it seems almost wrong to call that time, which was rather a newfound state of liberty, felt purely as space, a being surrounded by open space, not the passing of anything. During these days, I recovered childhood, if one may put it that way, a bit of early youth, all of which I had never had time to realize in myself. I looked, I learned, I understood. And from those days originates also the experience that it was so easy, so true, so as, as my friend would have expressed it, so unproblematically simple for me to say, God, how could this house, which the popes erected for themselves there? "'appear otherwise than mighty to me? "'I had the feeling that there could not be any space inside it, "'but that it must be built simply of solid blocks, "'as if the exiles had only been concerned "'to pile upon the scales of history "'the weight of the papacy, its weighty ascendancy. "'And in truth, this ecclesiastical palace "'is reared above the antique torso of the Heracles, "'which was built into the rocky foundations. "'Is it not?' said Peter." as if it had grown up in monstrous fashion from that grain of seed, I could much more easily understand that this was Christianity in one of its many transformations than recognize its strength and flavor in that tassan, weaker with every brew of which it is asserted that it is prepared from the earliest and most delicate leaves. Even the cathedrals are not the embodiment of that spirit, which we are now asked to believe is the actual Christian spirit, I could imagine the fallen image of a Grecian goddess to be lying under some of them. So much fluorescence, so much life has blossomed in them, in spite of the fact they soared away from that hidden body, as with the fear characteristic of their age, into the heavens which the sound of their great bells was to keep continually open. After I returned from Avignon, I went into a great many churches in the evening, and on Sundays, alone at first. Afterwards, I have a sweetheart, scarcely more than a child, who works at home so that she is often in a bad way when work is slack. She is a clever worker and could easily get into a factory, but she is afraid of the boss. Her idea of liberty is boundless. It will not surprise you that she thinks of God, too, as a sort of boss, as the chief boss as she said to me laughingly, but with such terror in her eyes. It was a long time before she decided to go with me one evening to St. Eustache, where I like to go because of the music of the May services. Once we got as far as Mo and looked at the tombstones in the church there. Gradually, she noticed that God leaves people alone in the churches, that he makes no demand. One could imagine he was not there at all, don't you think? But yet at the very moment when one is about to say that he is not in the church, said Martha, something holds you back. Perhaps only what human beings themselves have brought into this lofty, peculiarly intensified atmosphere through so many centuries. And perhaps it is only that the vibration of the powerful sweet music can never quite get away. Indeed, it must long since have penetrated into the stones. And these pillars and arches must be wonderfully agitated stone. And although a stone is hard and difficult to penetrate, in the end it must be deeply affected by ever recurring singing and these assaults of the organ, these onslaughts, these gales of song every Sunday, these hurricanes on the great feast days. A dead calm, that is what reigns in a special sense in old churches. I said so to Martha. A dead calm. We listened. She understood it once. She's by nature wonderfully prepared. After that, we often went in here and there when we heard singing and then we stood there close to one another. It was best of all when a glass window was in front of us, one of those old pictured windows with a number of divisions, each completely filled with figures, large-sized people and small towers and all sorts of events. Nothing was too strange for them. There are castles and battles and the hunt. And the beautiful white deer appears again and again set in glowing red and burning blue. I was once given a very old wine to drink. That was what these windows are for the eye, only that the wine was simply dark red in the mouth. But this here is the same in blue, also and in violet and in green. There is indeed absolutely everything in the old churches, no shyness about anything as there is in the new churches where only good examples appear. So to say here, there is also what is bad and evil and terrible, what is deformed and in want, what is ugly and unjust. And one would be inclined to say that it is in some sort held in love for God's sake. Here is the angel that does not exist. And the devil that does not exist, and man who does exist, is between them. And I can't help it. Their unreality makes him more real to me. I can put together in there what I feel when they say a man than I can in the street among people who have nothing whatever about them that you can recognize, but that's difficult to express. And what I want to say now is still more difficult to put into words. As regards the boss, the power... This became clear to me in there, too, very gradually, as we stood quite lost in the music. There is only one means of dealing with it, to go further than it does. I mean in this way. One should endeavor to see in every power, claiming a right over us, all power, the whole of power, power in essence, the power of God. One should say to oneself, there is only one power and should understand the trivial, false, imperfect kind of power as if it were there, which claims us rightly, would it not become innocuous in this way? If one always saw in every kind of power, even in that which is evil and mischievous, power itself, I mean, that which has, in the last resort, the right to be powerful, would one not then survive unharmed, so to say, even by what is unjust and despotic? Is this not precisely how we stand in relation to all the great unknown forces, We do not experience any of them in its purity. We accept each of them with its faults, which perhaps fit in with our faults. But in the experience of all scholars, discoverers, and inventors, has not the assumption that they are working with great powers led them suddenly to the greatest? I am young, and there is a great deal of rebellion in me. I cannot say that I act according to my understanding in every case, when impatience and disgust get the better of me. But in my heart of hearts... I know that submission gets you further than resistance. It puts to shame the usurpation of power, and it adds indescribably to the glory of the right kind of power. He who resists withdraws himself forcibly from the attraction of one center of power, and he may perhaps succeed in leaving the field of its activity, but beyond that he finds himself in emptiness, and has to look round for another force of gravitation to attract him, and this latter is generally even less legitimate than the former, So why not see it once in that force within which we find ourselves, the greatest of all, without heeding its weakness and fluctuations? At one point or another, despotic power will of itself come up against law, and we conserve our strength when we leave it to learn its own lesson. Of course, that is one of those slow and lengthy processes which are in such complete contradiction to the remarkable upheavals of our time But alongside of the most rapid movements, there will always be slow ones, such, indeed, as are of so extreme a leisureliness that we shall not live to see the course they take. But that is what humanity is for, is it not, to await the realization of that which exceeds a single lifespan? From its point of view, the slowest process is often the quickest. That is to say, we find that we called it slow simply because it could not be measured. Now it seems to me there is something which is absolutely immeasurable, and men are never tired of making the mistake of bringing to it their yard measures, mensurations, and devices. And there, in the love which with an intolerable mixture of contempt, desire, and curiosity, they call sensual. Here indeed are to be found the worst results of that vilification of earthly life, which Christianity has felt obliged to engage in. Here, everything is distorted and disowned, although it is from this deepest of all events that we come forth and have ourselves the center of our ecstasies in it. It seems to me, if I may say so, more and more incomprehensible that a doctrine which puts us in the wrong in that matter, where the whole creation enjoys its most blissful right, should be able, if not anywhere, to prove its validity, at least to assert itself over a wide area. Here again I think of the animated conversations which I had at that time with my departed friend in the meadows of the Barthalas Island in the spring and later. Even in the night before his death, he died the following afternoon, a little after five o'clock, he opened up to me such pure vistas into a realm of the blindest suffering that my life seemed to me to, to begin afresh at a thousand points. And when I tried to answer, I had no command in my voice. I did not know that there were tears of joy. I wept my first like a beginner into the hands of the friend who was dead the next day and felt how the tide of life in Peter rose once more and overflowed as those hot drops were added to it. Am I being extravagant? I am speaking of a too much. Why, I ask you, Mr. V., when people want to help us, who are so often helpless, why do they leave us in the lurch just there? at the root of all experience? Anyone who would stand by us there could rest satisfied that we should ask nothing further from him. For the help which he imparted to us there would grow of itself with our life, becoming together with it greater and stronger and would never fail. Why are we not set in the midst of that? What is most mysteriously ours? How we have to creep round about it and get into it in the end. Like burglars and thieves, we get into our own beautiful sex, in which we lose our way, and knock ourselves, and stumble, and finally rush out of it again, like men caught transgressing into the twilight of Christianity. Why, if guilt or sin had to be invented, because of the inner tension of the spirit, why did they not attach it to some other part of the body? Why did they let it fall on that part? waiting till it dissolved in our pure source and poisoned and muddied it. Why have they made our sex homeless instead of making it the place for the festival of our competency? Very well, I will allow that it should not belong to us who are not able to answer for and administer such inexhaustible bliss. But why do we not belong to God from this point? A churchman would point out to me that there is marriage, although he is not unaware of the state of affairs in respect of that institution. It does not help either to put the will to propagation within the sphere of grace. My sex is not directed only toward posterity. It is the secret of my own life. And it is only, it seems, because it may not occupy the central place there that so many people have thrust it to the edge and thereby lost their balance. What good is it all? The terrible untruthfulness and uncertainty of our age has its roots in the refusal to acknowledge the happiness of sex, in this peculiarly mistaken guilt which constantly increases, separating us from the rest of nature, even from the child. Although his, the child's innocence, as I learnt in that unforgettable night, does not consist at all in the fact that he does not know sex, so to say, but Said Peter, almost inaudibly, that incomprehensible happiness, which awakens for us at one place deep within the pulp of a close embrace, is still present anonymously in every part of his body. In order to describe the peculiar situation of our sensual appetite, we should have to say, once we were children in every part, now we are in that one part only." But if there were only one among us for whom this was a certainty, and who was capable of providing proof of it, why do we allow it to happen that generation after generation awakens to consciousness beneath the rubble of Christian prejudices and moves like the seemingly dead in the darkness in a most narrow space between sheer abdications? "Her V, I write and write. Nearly a whole night has gone on in this. I must be brief." Have I said that I'm employed in a factory? I work in the office. Sometimes I have a machine to look after, too. Before that, I was once able to study for a short while. Well, I only want to say how I feel. I want, you see, to be employable in relation to God, just as I am. What I do here, my work, I want to go on in His direction, without having my stream interrupted, if I may put it so. Not even through Christ, who was once the water for many. God, on the other hand, I have the feeling that I can bring my machine to him and its first fruits or my whole work. It enters into him without any trouble, just as it was once an easy thing for the shepherds to bring a lamb or the fruit of the fields or their finest grapes to the gods of their life. You see, Hervey, I've been able to write this long letter without once needing the word faith, for that seems to me to be a complicated and difficult matter and not my affair. I won't let myself be made out bad for the sake of Christ, but I want to be good for God. I won't be addressed. As a matter of course, as a sinner, perhaps I am not one. I have such pure mornings. I could talk to God. I do not need anyone to help me to compose letters to him. I know your poems only from the public reading of them the other evening. I have only a few books, most of them dealing with my occupation. It is true there are a few about art and history, just what I could afford, but your poems, you must accept the fact, have occasioned this commotion in me. My friend said once, give us teachers who will praise the present for us. You are such a teacher.